We lift up prayers for uh, Pastor Chris and family as they are uh, moving Ryan currently back to Middle Tennessee State University. They had to haul a trailer full of drums through Atlanta. So God bless them and God bless Ryan's new neighbor um, that's got to put up with the drums. Um, but we're, we're certainly keeping them in our prayers. And in the meantime, we are so blessed and, and honored and privileged to have one of our own, I, I feel like we can call him, because we see him so regularly come uh, Sunday in and Sunday out. But uh, if you haven't heard him before, you are in for an absolute treat. And if you have heard him before, you already know that. So would you please welcome Richard Schmidt. Thank you, John. Thank you. <laughs> we laughing at Jenny. Oh, gee whiz. Yeah, I, I, last year when Ryan went to school, the, Chris and Tony borrowed my, my truck. And um, so they had the truck and they had the car full of stuff. This year, it's the truck and the car and a trailer. And as John said, going through Atlanta, that's, that's always fun. Chris was telling me that uh, he was, was, in, was in a lane and there was an 18-wheeler next to him and the, the, the lane for the 18-wheeler ran out and the guy didn't realize that it was going to happen. He just pulled over. <laughs> he just pulled over, Chris said. If, if he hadn't had a, a vacant spot in the lane next to him, he would have been a sandwich. Yeah, so, so that was that was uh, always. It's always challenging, going going through Atlanta. Uh, it does it does wonders for your prayer life, doesn't it? <laughs> it it it, it really it really does. Oh, gosh. Well, folks, it's you know it's just so much fun being being with you all on Sunday morning. Um, I was telling the early service, the, the first service, we don't get a chance to go to that too often because coming down from Dade City, we, uh, it's, it's easy for us to leave up there about nine o'clock, make a stop at uh, Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> and then drive down 75. Takes us about an hour, hour and 15 minutes to get here. No big deal. Uh, 75 is not bad on Sunday morning. It, it, re it really isn't. So we're, we're glad to come and be a part of this fellowship. This is our church, man. We, we just love being with you all and, uh, and celebrating. And, and every now and then I get the wonderful opportunity um, to heckle Chris. Now, I, I really try not to do that too often, but sometimes it's just so inviting. <laughs> and, and especially if he has a pause after he says something, you know, and something just, well, it just slips out, <laughs> you, you know. Uh, so I, but I do try to behave myself, and, and, and I try not to take advantage of my position as his father, although sometimes it's hard. So anyway. Okay, well, let me, let me get to the point this morning. My goodness. Um, May 20th. 1927. Anybody want to hazard a guess? How many of you were around on in 1927? 
I, I knew Lenore was. There's another hand back there. But at, the event occurred at 7.52 a.m. May 20th, 1927, Charles Lindbergh took off from Roosevelt Field near New York City and he landed in Paris on May the 21st, 3,600 miles and 33 and a half hours later. Today we fly around the country and around the world without even thinking about it. La last night, Tony, Tony flew out of, uh, out of Tampa Airport. She was supposed to leave at 8 in the evening. She didn't get to leave until about maybe 9.15, 9.30 because of, because of the storms. But was in Nashville in, what, an hour, hour and 15 minutes, something like that. You know, we, we just jump on a plane and go where, wherever, we ever, wherever we need to go. And we don't think any more about that than going shopping at the mall. But back then, back in 1927, flying was a novel idea. And, and the thought of flying across the Atlantic Ocean was so far-fetched that, that, you know, you might as well have said you were going to the moon. That was how unbelievable it, it was. Now, Lindbergh's plane is on display in the Smithsonian Institute in uh, Washington, D.C. How many have, have seen that plane? Yeah. Um, makes you want to go flying, doesn't it? <laughs> Small and looks rickety. I had, a, I had a gentleman in my congregation at Hudson, Les Conwell, he was, a, he was an Air Force jet fighter pilot, and he built his own plane. He built a Thorpe. I went up with him in that plane. It was fun. Judy went up with him. It was fun. My associate pastor, Byron Osborne, went up with him. And when they came down, it wasn't fun because the plane skidded off the runway and ended up in a pond. Really, really. Uh, talk about not fun. But think about Lindbergh. Think, think about going across the Atlantic in that, in that plane. No flight attendants. No peanuts. Uh, no magazines, no movies, no bathroom, no walking around to stretch, no one to talk to, and since he was alone, no napping. You wonder how he managed to fly from, from uh, Philadelphia to Pittsburgh in that thing, much less across the uncharted ocean. And the name of Lindbergh's plane was Spirit of St. Louis, and that name is indicative of the attitude of those who encouraged and prayed and sacrificed for Lucky Lindy that day. Now, speaking of sacrifice, which is not something that we really like to talk about, I remember playing a touch football game for fun, mind you. If you have ever participated in a contact sport for fun, you know how long the fun stays once the contact begins. I was at 
my second appointment in my ministry in Jacksonville, Main Street, United Methodist Church, on the north side of Jacksonville, right on Main Street, right on 17. Group of young men in the church decided that they were going to have a a touch football game like they like they often did that Sunday afternoon and and they invited me to participate well being the uh, competitor that I I am um, Chris kind of comes by it naturally I, I said sure I mean I wanted to get my ministry off to a good a good start so we gathered out in the, in the field that afternoon where we were going to play. And, and, uh, and by the way, that was after I had preached a whiz-bang of a sermon that Sunday morning, I'll have you know. Uh, and they chose up sides, and we were about to get started. And as we stood at the scrimmage line, I stood across from a fellow by the name of Steve Stars. Now... Steve was big, and when I tell you that he was big, I'm talking about small Sherman tank big. Um, And before the ball was snapped, Steve said, I think it's appropriate that since uh, Richard, our new pastor, is with us to play this afternoon, I think it'd be appropriate if we opened with prayer. And I thought, wow, I'm impressed. And so we bowed our heads and Steve prayed, Oh Lord, we're glad our our new pastor is with us today. Please help Richard to be a willing sacrifice. (laughs) Amen. And then they snapped the ball. Steve hit me so hard that I saw stars. So... Sacrifice is something that we are always very happy if the other person does it. Even and especially when it comes to money. I mean, let's be honest. If, if, if we'd have put a sign up out front on 301 that said, come this Sunday morning and hear Richard speak about money. Whoa! You go right by. You go, Look at that. No, I'm not going there. And can you imagine the thoughts that go through the people who are going by out there if they were to see a sign like that? And, and if they had any thought of coming, <laughs> that would have been the end of that thought. In general, in general, we don't like to hear a message about money. We don't like to talk about giving, sacrificial or otherwise. We, we don't even want to think about it. I can't tell you how often during the years of my ministry I would hear people kind of complain, Ah, oh, Richard, the church is always talking about money. Yeah, yeah, they're always asking for money. As if somehow the church lives on miracles alone. The lights came on because they just came on. Nobody paid a bill. It was just a miracle. The next time you get your cable bill or your mortgage bill, I want you to call up 
spectrum or whomever and just say, well, I don't really want to pay my bill this month because you're always asking for money. <laughs> and see how far that gets you. I can just see the person on the other end of the phone drop their teeth, you, you know, and, and uh, uh, yeah, oh, oh, that's fine. That's fine, Mr. Schmidt, that, that's fine. You don't have to pay. You, we'll, we'll get by without you. Yeah, mm-hmm, sure. Jesus didn't shy away from talking about money. In fact, 30% of his teachings had to do with money. How we spend it and how we give it, how we use it, are, are accurate barometers of who we are. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but chances are very good that just about every one of us in here this morning has a theological statement with them. It's called a checkbook. I don't know if you've ever thought about your checkbook as a theological st statement, but it is. Show me your checkbook and I'll show you where your priorities are. Show me your checkbook and, I, and I'll show you what's closest to your heart. Remember Jesus said in, in Matthew's 621, where your treasure is, that's where you're going to ha have your heart. In the, in, in the 1990, a movie came out titled The Two Jakes. The Two Jakes. It starred Jack Nicholson. And in this movie, he's a detective that has to unravel a mystery. And he solves it based on this philosophy. One, if you follow the action, you get good pictures. Two, if you follow your instincts, you get into trouble. And three, if you follow the money, you get closer to the truth. So our text for the message this morning finds Jesus at the temple in the court of the women, and he's there to follow the money. He's going to watch as individuals walk along and put coins in the 13 trumpets that are scattered around the courtyard. Now these trumpets are really nothing more than funnels that go down through a space in the wall and then the money that is put in them clank into the bottom of a chest on the other side of the wall. The more money you put in, the louder the noise which is why we use felt on the bottom of our offering plates. Here's the story. Mark 12, beginning at verse 41. He, that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. Now, don't let that slide by you. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now note, 
Jesus sat down and he watched as people gave. Try to, try to fix that in your mind. He noticed the rich people who threw in large amounts. I find that so interesting. Jesus noticed the big bucks and the big buck givers. But who did he comment on? He commented on the widow who gave two small coins. Being a widow in those days was no easy task. Being a widow anytime is no easy task. But back then it was, it was catastrophic. There was no social security. There were no savings. There was nothing for a powerless woman to fall back on. And women had few legal rights. They couldn't give testimony in court. In fact, they were often considered property. They could not divorce, but they could be divorced for anything from adultery to burning the dinner. And so when the widow put her coins in the chest, they didn't make much noise if they made any noise at all. And she only dropped in two coins. Now, you may remember from your earliest days in Sunday school that this story is called the parable of the widow's might. Yeah, might being the operative word as a little, very, very little. The, the coins that she gave were called a lepton, L-E-P-T-O-N, a lepton. And it literally means a thin one, a thin one. It was the smallest of the coins of the day, and today it would be worth about one-sixteenth of a penny. And yet Jesus said she gave more than everyone else. Now can't you see the eyes of the disciples bug out of their heads when they heard Jesus say that? They too were watching. They saw Daddy Warbucks go by and dump in the money in the, in, in the funnels. And they hear Jesus say, this widow gave more. And you can, I can just hear them say, what are you talking about, Jesus? You were there, you saw it. Some people took a long time to walk around to all of the, of, of the trumpets to put their money in. Didn't you hear it? Clanging in the bottom of the chests. That poor widow dropped in two measly coins. They hardly made a noise. And Jesus, seizing the opportunity to teach, tells his followers that, yes, many gave out of their wealth, but this widow gave out of her poverty, out of her love for God. She put in everything, all that she had to live on. Her giving was truly sacrificial. Well, I don't know about you, but this story tells me something very important. And it's simply this. Our Lord is much more interested in our attitude when we give than he is with the amount. Now let me, let me say that again in case you didn't want to hear it. 
our Lord is much more interested in the attitude that we have when we give than he is necessarily with the amount that we give. See, we can fool our neighbors, we can fool our friends, we can even fool our our family members sometimes by poor-mouthing our financial status, but we can't fool God. Sitting by the temple treasury, Jesus saw many rich people throw in their money, hoping that the noise would attract the attention of the priests. Yes, they they were giving. Yes, they were generous. But they were giving with the wrong attitude. I wonder what would happen if we had to go public with the amount that each of us give, not only to our church, but to any charity. I wonder whether we would, we would welcome that or not. Most of the time, the answer is no. I never did during the years of my ministry. I never published a, a list of, of names of people and what they gave. But some fellowships do that, you know. Maybe, maybe you've been a part of one of those in the past. Most people, most people wouldn't, wouldn't like that. But our Lord knows what we give, and he knows what motivates our giving or our lack thereof. Over the years of, 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 my, of my ministry, some of the uh, most difficult things that I've had to deal with in time have, have come by folks who, who gave the least. Some of the most, most problems that I had to deal with were caused by people who were the, were the stingiest and, and non-supportive of the, truth, of the church. If each of us were to give the biblical standard, 10%, if we really did that, can you imagine what we could accomplish as a church? We'd never have to, Chris would never have to say to someone who came to him with an idea for a, for a, a ministry, He'd never have to say, well, that's, that's a great thought. That's something that's really needed, but we can't do it because we don't have the money. He'd never have to say that. We'd be able to, to take our plans, that, that our dreams for the new worship uh, space, the new worship center, and fulfill them. And, and, and then we would have more money left over. And we'd have to work hard at trying to figure out how to use the rest wisely. What should our attitude be when we give? Well, you know the answer to that. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 9, verse 6, The point is this, the one who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully also reaps bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Yeah, one translation says, God loves the one who gives gladly. Another says, God loves a happy giver. The Greek word used to describe it is hilarios. And it means exactly what you think it means. God loves those who give hilariously. So next Sunday, (laughs) when the offering plates are passed, you really want to shock Chris, fall off your chair laughing, (laughs) for God loves a hilarious giver. The spirit in which we give is an indication of our heart condition. What is important is both the spirit of our giving and the level of our sacrifice. The widow's sacrifice 
sacrifice was obviously so great that Jesus called the disciples' attention to it. If we give sacrificially and hilariously, we don't have to worry about having the spirit of St. Louis. We'll have the spirit of St. Matthew and St. Paul and the spirit of Jesus Christ himself who gave himself for us. I want to tell you a story that Billy Graham told over the years. A story about a strong man in a circus, traveling circus. And, and he did what strong men typically did. Lifted great weights, his muscles bulging, bent bars, sweat popping on his forehead and his face and his arms. That was all something that the people expected. But then he did something that they didn't expect. He took an orange. And he took that orange and he squeezed it. And he squeezed it. And he squeezed it. Until nothing else would come out. No more juice. And he said to the audience, I offer you this challenge. The one of you that can come forward and squeeze one more drop of juice from this orange will get $1,000. People tried. They tried for years. No one ever won the challenge. And then one day, the circus went to this little village. The strong man did his usual strong man feats. He took the orange, he squeezed it, he issued the challenge. From the back of the audience, this sweet little lady came. I'd like to accept the challenge, she said. And she took the orange in her little hand and she squeezed it. <laughs> and she squeezed six more drops of juice. The strong man was flabbergasted. He was astounded. How in the world could you possibly have done that when everyone else over all these years has failed, he said. And she looked him in the eye and with a twinkle she said, well, tell you the truth, I do it all the time. I'm the treasurer down at my church. <laughs> For some of us, that's the way we give. We gotta be squeezed. But not this church. Not this congregation, not you. You drip with generosity. Would it be that all of us would drip with generosity for the cause of Jesus, for the ministry of our church here in parish, and for all that we want to do in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead? Jesus' favorite pew for worship was opposite the treasury, as he sat and he watched the people put their money in. Today, his favorite spot is right next to me and right next to you, and he watches. I sure want him to see me as a generous, hilarious giver. What about you? Let's pray. Loving Lord, the, the subject may, may hit a nerve or two, but your word often does challenge us in ways that uh, 
we, we find difficult. So, Father, for your blessings this day we seek, and for your grace to us we ask that you would be with us in this time of worship and in the hours and the days to come as we seek to be generous and hilarious givers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and God's people said, Amen.